Well, welcome everybody to uh, all of our campuses, uh, if you're joining in with us, uh, wherever you are, and for those of you who are uh, listening or watching online, we're just honored that you're all here today, uh, joining in with us as we wrap up this series that we've been in all summer uh, on the book of James. And uh, I get the privilege of wrapping that up today, uh, and this is a book we've been studying all summer long. Uh, in your Bible, written by James, who's the brother of Jesus. And I think it's safe to say, if you've been tracking along with us uh, this whole time, uh, we've learned a lot, because there's a lot in this little book uh, that we've sort of learned. But uh, if you've taken the challenge, if you remember on week one, we made a challenge to everybody. We said, all summer long, let's read the book of James together. There are five chapters. Let's read one chapter a day, Monday through Friday. And so if you've done that, uh, you now have read this book at least nine or ten times. You should be really familiar with it. And maybe you even noticed that we haven't even touched on everything that James discusses in this book because there's just so many verses, so much good stuff packed into this one book. But today, uh, I'm going to focus on the ending and what James talks about as he wraps up this book, or really what it is, it's a letter that he wrote to a group of Christ followers. And I find this ending really interesting. And the reason is because James basically ends his letter or his book uh, the way he started it. He, he uh, addresses pretty much the same subject that he dealt with way back in chapter 1. And if you were with us at the very beginning, uh, I think it was June the 2nd when we opened up the first verse and we started reading it together, uh, you know that James started out by talking about this issue of trials or suffering or pain that we endure in our lives and what James said in the very beginning was is he said I want to encourage you to look at trials or sufferings in your life not as something to be avoided not as something to run away from not as something to dread but I want you to see them as pure joy and, and let me just say if that sounds uh, confusing to you if that sounds weird or if it just doesn't make any sense or it's unrealistic to you trust me it was really unrealistic to all of us, and maybe you should go back and look at how James addresses that and how we talked about it uh, way back in the beginning. But today, as James wraps it up, like I said, he's circling back to this same topic again, and he's going to talk to us about the topic of pain and suffering. But this time, instead of giving us ways to think about it and how we should approach it, he's going to offer us a little bit of a solution. And you're thinking, well, that's good news. I'd like to have a solution to the problem of pain in my life. But before I read it, I'll just warn you, it, it's not what you want to hear. It's not what I want to hear. I'm, you're not going to like it. It's just a two-word solution. But get ready because here's what he says. Nobody likes this. It's chapter 5, verse 7. James says, be patient. Just be patient. Well, y'all have a good week. I'll see you next Sunday. Some of you got really excited there. You thought the message was over. No, not really. But honestly, that's all you got for us, James? Just be patient? I mean, come on. Uh, be patient. That, that sounds like something that my dad used to say to me when I was a kid and we were on those long road trips, right? When are we going to get there? Hey, just be patient. It sounds like what I say now to my kids when they want to know when dinner's ready and they're hungry. And I always say, be patient. And you know what be patient means, right? When someone says for you and me to be patient, what they're really telling us to do is wait. Just wait. And nobody likes to wait, do they? I don't like to wait. I've never met anybody who likes to wait for anything. But it's always been kind of funny to me, this issue of patience and waiting. And I'll tell you what, what I mean by that. 
everybody that I've ever talked to would say to me, and, and I'm sure you would say the same thing, that patience is something that they want to develop in their life. I've always heard people say, you know, I just wish I was a more patient person. I wish I could develop patience in my life. We talk about patience as a virtue, right? But the interesting thing about patience, and this is true, there's only one way to develop patience in your life. There's only one way I can develop patience. And you know what it is, right? It's by waiting. The only method that will cause you to learn how to be patient in your life is when you're forced to wait for things. And again, like I said, I've never known anybody who likes to wait on anything. But especially when you're in pain or there's trouble in your life or there's hard times that you're facing. Nobody likes to wait in those times either. It's like being patient. That's the last thing I want to do when I'm in pain. I mean, I'll wait a few hours, sure, maybe a day or two. And if I'm really patient, then maybe I'll wait for a week. But, man, I need a solution. I mean, there's a problem here. And I need it now, or at least I need it soon. And when someone tells you to be patient, there's always a question that comes after that, right? For how long? I mean, if you want me to wait, I need to know how long I'm going to have to wait. I need to know when, when the patience is going to be over, right? I, I want to know how long it's going to take. And it's almost like James knows that because he goes about answering that question at, before he even finishes the whole sentence. Look at what he says. He says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Wow. Now, that's just great, James. Thanks for that. Because, see, like, I have no idea when that's going to happen. <laughs> and the last time I checked, it's been like, 2,000 years since Jesus left. Now, let's be fair to James. When James wrote these words, it had only been about 10 years. But I think the application is still the same for us today as it was to them back then. And now, there's something that's really important that you need to understand about James's approach here and the reason that he's going at it this way. And it's, it's a principle. It's an idea that is very common in the Scriptures. You hear this repeated from almost every writer of the New Testament, uh, specifically among the followers of Jesus, the ones who lived with him, who saw him uh, die, who saw him resurrected, there's a theme that they just sort of assume and they sort of address over and over and over again throughout the New Testament. And it's, another, it's, it's, an, it's the assumption that James is making here. Now, what's the assumption? What's the principle? Well, it's this. It's that the ultimate solution to pain and suffering in this life it's not found in this life. The ultimate solution to pain and suffering in this life is not found in this life. Now, see, when most of us, we pray and we bring our problems to God, we bring our pain or our suffering or our hard times or whatever it is that we are struggling with, what is it that we're looking for? Well, mostly we're just looking for a solution. And we're looking for it now or at least soon. And I want to be clear, there's, there's nothing wrong with doing that. I mean, there, we all should pray prayers where we ask God for solutions because, you know, sometimes those prayers get answered. But according to Jesus and according to the closest followers of Jesus, the complete solution, the final solution to the problem of pain and suffering that we face in our lives is not found in this life. That's why James and all the other biblical writers, they don't see any conflict in coming to people like you and me and saying, hey, be patient for us. Just wait. 
because their confidence in the solution to pain and suffering, it's not grounded to what happens now. It's not grounded in what happens in this life. It's coming later. That's why James is so readily, it's so easy for him to say, hey, just, just wait, be patient. He even goes on, he gives an example. He says, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains. And again, we read this and we get frustrated because we're looking for the quick solution. We're looking for something to happen now. And, and the truth is, most of us are so far removed from the reality of this illustration of farming, it's almost like we don't even understand it very well. But I want you to think for a second what it would have been like for a farmer in the first century in a desert climate, because that's who James is talking to. I mean, when, when a farmer in the first century in a desert climate puts a seed in the ground, when he plants a crop, what does he have to do once that seed goes in the ground? He doesn't have anything else to do but wait. I mean, he doesn't control very much about what happens to this crop. I mean, he doesn't control the rain. He's just waiting on the rain. There are no fancy irrigation systems like we have to reroute the water. And there's really no major water supplies that they can get from. So he's dependent on the rain. He's dependent on nature not going crazy and doing some kind of storm that's going to destroy his crop. So he's dependent on that. And he just waits. In fact, many uh, farmers in that climate and that culture would experience semi-starvation right before a harvest season because they were so dependent on the crops coming in. And so James says, just like a farmer like that has to just wait and trust the process because he doesn't control what goes on with all of that, that's our job. We wait in patient dependence on God who is going to bring an ultimate solution to our pain. James repeats that idea in verse 8. He says, so you too, just like that, should be patient and stand firm. Now that phrase, stand firm, it, it, it literally means to stabilize or to strengthen your heart. To just steel yourself up, to strengthen yourself. Because don't you know this is true? I mean, I, I've experienced this too. So many times when pain or problems come into our lives, those problems and pain come between us and God. Because, see, pain throws us off balance. It's not what we want. It's not what we expected. And sometimes when we get off balance, we allow our faith to get off balance, too. We just start assuming that if I don't see a solution to my problems right now, well, then there must not be a solution. But James says, no, 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 that's not the case. And you need to trust me on this. You can stand firm. You need to be patient. Now, why should we be patient? And, again, he gives another timetable. He says, because the Lord's coming is near. And again, we read that and we're like, oh, that's so frustrating because over and over and over again in the new part of the Bible, the New Testament, the writers go on and on about how Jesus is coming back and it's like this imminent return of Jesus can happen at any day. They're expecting it. They're anticipating that it can come in any moment. And it leads us to say, well, why do they believe that so strong? Well, I'll tell you why they believe that so strong. I'll tell you why they were so convinced that that was true. Because they had all seen Jesus leave. And, and if we had seen what they had seen, well, then we'd be just as convinced as they are convinced. Now, if you're like me and you've hung around churches or Christian circles for any length of time, you've probably noticed that there's this, this thing that a lot of Christians like to talk about, and they, they want to talk about the return of Jesus. And there's a lot of questions surrounding that. And most people want to know, well, 
When's it going to be? Is there a date we can look for? Are there events that we know will happen before Jesus comes back? Or what are the signs of the times? And on and on and on and on. And, and they just want to know, when's it going to happen? And they're anticipating it. And, but they believe that there's certain things that happen, have to happen in order for Jesus to return first. And I've heard that debate, and you've probably heard it if you've hung around churches too. But here's what I've always found really interesting. The people who actually saw Jesus resurrected, who saw him leave, they don't seem to be having debates like we have today. They just keep telling people, hey, you need to be ready. You need to expect it because Jesus could come back at any time. Which leads me to assume that they believed that there was nothing keeping Jesus from returning except, well, his, re his decision to return. They didn't seem to have all these debates about the signs of the times. So maybe, maybe we shouldn't either. Well, then James, is, he turns his attention to something else. He wants to talk to us about how we deal with one another in the meantime. Because this is true, isn't it? When pain comes into your life, not only does it drive a wedge between you and God sometimes, it often drives a wedge between you and people. Because see, when you're waiting and you're struggling or you're in pain or there's something you want to see fixed in your life, a lot of times you wind up taking out that frustration that you feel, that impatience that you feel on the people right around you. And James wants to deal with that. So look at what he says in verse 9. He says, don't grumble against each other, brothers and sisters. See, isn't it true that when you grow impatient, you wind up taking that out on the people that are like right around you, people that are maybe just the first person you run into? Like, you ever been driving somewhere and you're just frustrated? You're running late. People on the road aren't cooperating and you're just, you're feeling that impatience, that unsettled feeling inside of you. And you got somebody in the car with you, and they're completely, you know, detached from all of that. They're, they're, they're on their phone. They're talking or whatever. And then all of a sudden, they ask you a question. And all that frustration and all that impatience that's inside you, you just explode on them. And they were just asking a question. It was innocent. They don't have anything to do with what's going on inside of you. But you take it out on them. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I've done that before, too. But... I mean, we wind up focusing our frustration on other people, and we wind up treating each other in ways that we would never treat each other if we weren't impatient. And these are people that have nothing to do with that frustration. They have nothing to do with, with what we're waiting on. They're just there. They're an easy target. And James says, look, I get that that's so easy to do when you're being patient and you're in the middle of suffering, but don't guard against that. Don't do that. Your frustration is not about them. Do not turn this on each other. And then James takes a new direction. In this next verse, he knows we need help on this. He knows we need some direction on how to get this done. So he gives us some examples to follow. Look at verse 10. He says, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, just take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now, maybe you're not familiar with what a prophet is, but in the Bible, a prophet was mainly a person from the older part of, of the Bible in the Old Testament. They're all throughout, but mainly there. And these were men and women who would come on the scene and they would bring a message from God to people. And usually it was a warning to a nation, a warning to a leader or a king that they were off track and something needed to change. And then, or maybe they would point to an injustice that was going on in a society. And they would say, this is, this is, this is not right. This needs to be fixed. And mostly when prophets came on the scene and they spoke, prophets were ignored. Because everybody's just like me and just like you. They don't like to be told what to do. They don't like to be told they're wrong. They don't like to be told that they need to change. So most of the time, people just ignored the prophets. They 
took them for fools. Or, or at worst, prophets were persecuted. Some of them were imprisoned, and some of them were even killed for their message. But then an interesting thing would happen. Years later, generations sometimes down the road would look back on what the prophets had said, what they had encouraged people to do or to change, and they would go, oh, they were right. And now we see it clearly. And in those instances, the prophets were regarded as heroes. They were looked up to. They were seen as ahead of their time almost. Because time and patience actually proved that what they had said in the beginning was right. But see, it was patience that proved them right. It was the time that proved them right. If you want an, a contemporary example of that, something in our day, in our culture, I, I would point to people like Nelson Mandela or Martin Luther King Jr., who in their time stood up against injustice, about the things that had been, were being suffered by people, and they were persecuted for that message. They were ignored. They, were, they, were, they, 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 they weren't listened to many times. But now we look back on them and we say, wow, that, they're right. We even hold them up as heroes. James says, we need to think about that. That's an, that's an example for your life of why you need to be patient in the midst of suffering. Because patience will change your perspective over time. Look at verse 11. He says, as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. And we all relate to this one, right? I mean, I want you to think for a second. Think about somebody in your life that you know personally, maybe somebody's story that you're, you're familiar with, maybe somebody that you maybe were even involved in their story, and it's a person who went through an extraordinary situation, a horrible treatment or some type of horrible suffering or pain or sickness or whatever, but through the entire ordeal, they were able to maintain their faith. They showed patience, they endured, and they, they held their faith strongly through that whole ordeal. I'll bet you've either said this out loud or you've at least thought this to yourself. You've thought, you know what? When my time comes, because suffering and pain come to all of us, but when my time comes, I hope that I can be just like them. You hold them up as an example now. You look at them as a hero. You, you revere them for what they did. And you say to yourself, man, I, I just wish. I don't even know how they did it, but I want what they have. I hope that I can be patient. I hope that I can endure. They inspire us, don't they? We're just drawn to people like that. Even when it doesn't even make sense, we, we desire to have a faith like people we see who go through times like that. James goes on. He wants to give us another example of this just to help us. He says, you've heard of Job's perseverance. You've seen what the Lord finally brought about in his life. And again, Job is another example from the older part of your Bible, the Old Testament. And his story is recorded there for us. And Job was a guy who practically overnight, he lost his children, he lost his livelihood, he lost his possessions, he lost his health. In fact, in the midst of all of this going on, Job's wife even comes to him and she says, look, man, you just need to curse God and die. Just give up. Not a very supporting spouse was Job's wife, but that's what she said. And you read his story in Scripture, and throughout this story, Job is tempted to do that. He's tempted to give up. In fact, he spends a lot of his time wrestling with God and arguing with God and asking questions and just being frustrated. But there's one thing that Job never does in his story is he never, ever quit. He never, ever gave up on God. He never gave up his faith. 
And so now we look back on that story and we see a story of tremendous faith, of patience, and even redemption because everything Job lost was finally restored. See, here's what I found to be true. Nobody ever wants to have to be patient. But everybody I know is glad when they do. After they've done it, they're always glad. Because here's, the, here's what happens in a life when, when, when you practice patience in the midst of suffering. If you look at someone's story like a snapshot, and we can all do this in someone's life. You, 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 take, some, you take anybody's life, mine, yours, anybody's, and you just isolate one moment out of their life, and you just look at that snapshot. What you might see in that snapshot is a picture of pain, of suffering, of, of horrible circumstances. And if you just looked at that snapshot, you would say, why would anybody endure that? Why would anybody want to go through that? I certainly wouldn't. In fact, if that's what it's about, then I'd just want to quit. I think that person should just give up. But even though that snapshot makes you think it's just not worth it, when you pull back and you see the whole story, you don't see just a snapshot. You see a complete portrait of somebody's life. You see what comes after the struggle, after the disappointment, when the story has reached its completion. You see it differently. You say, no, 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 it is worth the wait. I, I'm glad that person didn't give up. In fact, if it's your life and you look back on it, you would say, man, I'm so glad I didn't give up on patience. I, because look what I would have missed if I'd done that. See, I, doing what I do, I wound up talking to a lot of people about this issue, about the issue of pain and suffering and the problem of evil in this world. And if you've been around Community Christian, we've talked about this a lot. We've even done entire series on this issue. And it's a legitimate issue. It's a question that I think everybody has uh, from time to time. I mean, and I get it. But here's the thing. And I know this is simplifying it, but it really comes down to this. When it comes to enduring pain or suffering or evil in your life, you really do, it really does come down to just three options. I mean, you really only have three responses. There are only a few places you can go to solve the problem of evil. Number one, you can decide that there is no God. And many people do that. Maybe you've done that. Maybe you've looked at your life and the lives of other people and just the world in general, and you said, well, if there can't be a good God if there's so much evil or suffering in the world. Now, if I'd had your experience, maybe I would have come to that conclusion as well. But could I just add one more thing for you to think about as you're wrestling with that whole thing? If you've taken that, uh, that posture and that's been your response to evil and suffering, can I just give you one more thing to think about? Because I think you owe it to yourself to think about every possibility. If you take the route of if there's evil in the world, there must not be a good God. Here's the only thing that you've proven. You've proven that the God that you had hoped would exist or the God that you expected to exist doesn't exist. In other words, what you've done is, is you've painted a picture of what you believe God should be or what you expected God to be, and then you went out and you looked for that God. And the truth is you didn't find that God, the God that you had expected or the God that you had, had believed was true. And so you've You've only proven that that God doesn't exist. And, and, 
and you never found him. So if that's where you are, if you've done that, here's my challenge. And it's just a challenge to consider, something to think about. Yes, the God you hoped for, the God you looked for, the God you expected to find may not be real. But what if? What if the real God is greater? What if he's more mysterious? What if he is more complex than even you were able to imagine? Because, and you may not agree with this yet, but I believe it's true. If you abandon God in the midst of your suffering, there's only one thing worse than disappointment with God, and that is disappointment without God. Because walking away from God in the midst of your pain, come on, be honest, it still didn't solve your pain. Your pain's still there. So that leads to what many people choose as a second option, and it's this. I believe there's God, but I just don't like him. And again, that's certainly a response. That's legitimate. I've known people who've chosen that too. But again, my question is almost the same. Even in that scenario, what did you solve? Yes, I get that God's not cooperating exactly the way you wanted him to cooperate. But let's be honest. Has everyone who truly loved you in this life always cooperated with everything you wanted them to do or everything that you hoped they would do? And at some point, isn't love bigger than that? At some point, doesn't love require that sometimes it will be the case that I don't just agree with everything or every decision that gets made? And again, if you walk away from God, I would say to you, you've walked away from the only one who has the power and ability to make sense of your pain. The only one capable of providing an answer. Because there's not really an answer apart from God. I've always found this interesting is a lot of people will say to me, well, you Christians have a really a big problem here. You've got, you know, a good God and you've got evil and suffering in the world and, and the two can't coexist. And so that must be a big problem for people who follow Jesus or Christianity. And I've always found that interesting because that's like the whole point of Christianity. I mean, that's the entire message that Jesus brought into this world. It's the answer to pain. It's the answer to suffering. It's the answer to evil and death and all of that stuff. That's the whole point. Every writer of Scripture, every person who's ever followed Jesus has faced that reality face on, head on. We don't shy away from the question of evil and suffering. We look at right square in the nose. We stand toe-to-toe with the problem, and we point to a blood-stained cross and an empty tomb. That is the satisfying answer. It may not be the answer that you like, and it may not come quick enough. I get that. But it is still the answer, which leads to option number three. I'll be patient, and I'll trust in God. Not the God that I hoped would be real. Not the God of my own choosing or God of my own making. I will trust God just as he is. The God who proved his love, proved his power over evil and suffering and death on the cross and in the empty tomb. And even though I have a life right now that if you were to take a snapshot of it, it would not be pretty. I cling to a greater promise. The answer for my life will not come in this life. It comes later, and that's okay. Because I trust him. It's interesting. James, as he finishes up this whole section, he writes a sentence that brings this whole topic to a close. It's a simple sentence. But it's very profound. Look at what he says at the end of verse 11. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. See, 
God doesn't wait, and he doesn't make you and me wait to bring the ultimate solution to suffering and sin and pain because he's a God who lacks compassion or who lacks mercy. It's the opposite. God waits because he's full of mercy, because he's full of compassion. Another follower of Jesus, Peter, wrote it this way. He said, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as you understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. See, everything that you see that's wrong about your life, everything that causes you grief and causes you pain in this world, everything that you're so upset about, everything that you're so sick of and you just wish you were done with it and you're ready to just for it all to be over, to the point where you feel sometimes like you just can't wait any longer for it to be over. Do you know that God is just as upset as you are? In fact, God is more upset than you and I could ever be. But still he waits. He waits to bring the solution. Not because he lacks compassion, but because his love draws him to a greater purpose. So in the meantime, in the meantime, here we are. What do we do? How do we wait? How do we remain patient in the midst of all that we see around us? Well, James is going to tell us, and he wraps up his entire book, his entire letter, with what I think is the answer to that question. He goes into this section, and he's going to encourage us to do one thing. He says, you need to pray. You need to trust. You need to lean on God while you wait for the ultimate answers that he will bring. I want to read you this entire section. It's in verse 13. It's where it starts. Let's read it together. He says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Then let them call the elders of the church to pray over them, to anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So today, we're going to end this entire series, our study of this amazing book of James, right where James ends his letter to these early Christians, these Christians who were suffering persecution. We're going to end with prayer. See, as James wrote right here, he says, there's just something powerful about prayer. Whenever we turn to our Heavenly Father, we pour out our hearts and our deepest desires. Our Father listens. In prayer, you have the attention of the God of this universe, the creator of all things. I mean, when you think about that, that is an amazing thought to ponder. So whatever pain that you might be going through today or someone that you know and love, whatever worries you right now, whatever you're frustrated about, your Heavenly Father wants to hear about it. More than that, He's already working it out for your good. He is on your side. He is not against you. Even in those moments when, when your struggles in this life get overwhelming and you feel like you're just in this never-ending waiting room, your Father in heaven is already working for your good. And he's given you and me access to his power and his presence through our relationship with Jesus. See, because of what Jesus has done for us, we can approach God in prayer. And James says the prayers of God's people, they're powerful. And it's not just our individual prayers. It's not just the prayers that you pray somewhere when you're all by yourself. There is something powerful that happens when we pray together. Jesus said it this way. He said, where two or three of my followers are gathered together, I am there with them. Now, what Jesus was not saying is that 
God's not with you all the time because we know God is present always with us. But what Jesus was trying to help us understand was that when we come together, we pray together for one another, something powerful happens in that moment. It's like the, 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 it's like the, the line between heaven and earth just gets a little bit thinner. And we can experience God's power and presence in a way that we can't in other ways. So here's what I want us to do. In just a few moments, I'm going to invite all of us at all of our campuses to gather together in this room and just to group up together in little groups of about two or four. Now, if you're listening or you're watching this online, maybe there's some people there with you. You can gather with them and pray. If not, then I hope you'll participate with us and you'll just do this right where you are alone but james says there's healing power when we confess to one another and and not just our sins to one another i also think this is true whenever we confess our needs to one another when i admit that i'm struggling and there's something that i'm i'm dealing with or there's a hurt or a secret pain or there's something in my life that's just not easy for me right now when we say that to another person we experience a healing power from god in a really unique way When we open up to other people, God works through our brothers and sisters in Christ to comfort us. Because I don't feel as alone as I once did. And not only can they pray for me during this time, but through this relationship that we have with one another, God begins to heal me in that process. See, this is the power of the church. This is why we're called the body of Christ. Because as we gather together, it's almost as if Jesus is wrapping his arms around us and pulling us together. And in this world where we're we're constantly being pulled apart, where our world pulls us towards division between one another. This is something we need. This is what heals us. So today, we're going to get together in these little groups of two to four. And here's what I want you to do when you get in your groups. I want you to just take a moment and just share real briefly one thing that you're worried with, that you're struggling with, that maybe is causing you hurt or pain in your life, something that you would like someone to pray for, for you about in this moment. And just share that around your, your little circle. And then when you've done that, pray for one another. Now, if you don't want to pray out loud and you want to pray silently, that's okay too. But I want to encourage you to pray quietly for one another right where you're sitting. And as we always say around here, if this is uncomfortable for you, if this is something you're not sure you believe in yet, then you don't have to do this. But I really would encourage you. I think it would be beneficial if you would just take a risk and be open up and would be open to this think this time could be meaningful for you as well even if you choose not to pray if you just decide to sit and listen that's okay you can just use this time as an opportunity to connect with someone else in the room today as i said in a world that pushes us toward division we can come together and and if you would just choose to pray I, i believe your heavenly father wants to hear from you today i know he does but if you're a follower of jesus i really want you to lean into this i encourage you to not just use this a chance to receive healing from the body of christ but to also provide it to join with your brothers and sisters that are sitting all around you and and bring those prayers to god because those prayers are powerful like james said so right now if you feel comfortable doing so find a group two or three or four sitting around you begin to share prayer requests with one another and then let's pray for one another together let's do that right now